Welcome to another OUinsider.com podcast. I'm RJ Young. I'm joined by OUI staff writer Colin Kennedy. Colin, what's going on, man? Oh, great day. I mean, we're going to talk some ball as we record this. It's opening day in Major League Baseball that mm-hmm. ran that area for the Texas Rangers. So, naturally, I'm very excited to get to the weekend and watch some baseball. But football's on the mind everyone for good reason. So, I'm excited to get all into the topics regarding OU football and recruiting. Right on, man. Uh, so, let's start with what the people really want, which is this recruiting news, especially as it pertains to defensive backs and defensive tackles and, you know, all this moving and shaking. So, Isaiah Johnson drops a top five yesterday as we are recording this. And in that top five is Oklahoma, LSU, USC, Georgia, and Arizona State. But he made a point of pointing out that Oklahoma has been in on him from the very beginning since he started playing ball back in West Virginia. Uh, six foot two-ish, about a buck 80, uh, legit yep. four or five speed. He feels like he fits into what Grinch would want. Yeah, and I mean, Roy Manning has consistently touched base with this guy throughout the process. And as you mentioned, the kid was out in Bluefield, West Virginia. And from that time on, since he's quote-unquote in Big 12 country, mm. the Sooners have been have had their eyes on him. Yeah, I know. I hate to say that, but I mean, I have to, I guess. But now that he's transferred, he's in Playa del Rey, California. And even though that's not necessarily in that quote-unquote Big 12 country, of course, we know Oklahoma's past in recruiting California talent. So Isaiah Johnson making that move doesn't necessarily change anything from an Oklahoma perspective in terms of their recruitment of him. But it's been kind of interesting to follow because you mentioned it, Arizona State's in that top group, and it seems like the Sun Devils are now the favorite Mm -hmm. in this recruitment. And I personally am fascinated by this because I don't think we're talking enough about how great of a job Herm Edwards, Antonio Pierce, and that Arizona State staff has done. These now two recruiting classes or more. I mean, last year's group that they put together was very, very good in my eyes. And right now, I mean, it seems like they're the leader for Isaiah Johnson with Steve Wiltfong putting in a crystal ball fairly recently in favor of the Sun Devils. So, Oklahoma's definitely in the running here. It sounds like Roy Manning has done a very good job of recruiting Isaiah Johnson. But at the same time, I mean, the move makes you wonder what might the outcome look like in the end. It seems like that West Coast favorite is now Arizona State. Oklahoma will have to find a way to challenge the Sun Devils moving forward. Yeah, in learning about Isaiah Johnson, one of the things that I figured out most was mom has a lot to say about what's going on. And one of the things that is on the agenda is – he apparently has moved around a few times, and he would like to not necessarily do that again, which, you know, Georgia's way across the country, right? LSU is further away than Oklahoma. Oklahoma obviously is in the middle of the country. And Arizona State's just kind of, you know, over there. But it's still far enough away that might have to pick up and move. Now, that said, it, what you just said is so terribly important. Antonio Pierce and Herm Edwards in particular have been doing – an outstanding job, and we should add there, Jamar Cain comes from that staff, and you've seen what kind of an animal he has been on the recruiting trail since taking the job in February at Oklahoma. So I'm, I'm not necessarily surprised, but it, between Arizona State and uh, Dante Williams out at USC, my goodness, like those two programs, since basically the we saw Clay Helton overhaul the defensive staff, We've seen Herm Edwards continue to rely on the expertise of Antonio Pierce while saying, hey, Marvin Lewis, all you got to do is coach. You don't really have to 
recruit like that. If we introduce to a kid, fine. But Antonio's got all of that. And yeah, you pointed it out. We should talk more about what the Sun Devils are doing, but I tend to look at them from the vantage point of Jaden Daniels. And once he decided to go there, and then he got the job, and then he put together the kind of season that he did with an enormous win over Oregon. Yeah, Arizona State feels like a dark horse to not just win the uh, excuse me the Pac-12 championship, but to win the college football playoff spot that I believe would go to a Pac-12 team for the first time in years, even with the conference-only slate. Because, I mean, I get into this, but like I think USC, Oregon, Arizona State are actually better off not playing non-conference games this year as it pertains to their resume and, and getting into the playoff. Yeah, I'd agree. And I think Oregon is definitely the favorite for me hmm. in that conference, even though there are questions at quarterback. But, I mean, when you look towards the future, I think this this relates to Oklahoma specifically because as we go forward and you see a lot of these programs on the rise, you start to wonder, okay, who's going to be that challenger against Oklahoma to kind of take that third or fourth spot? Because you would just naturally assume, based on what we've seen, that an SEC team is going to be towards the top and maybe like a Clemson because of the dominance that's been shown in the ACC. And so when you look at the Pac-12, I think Oklahoma really has to take a look at what teams like Oregon or, of course, Arizona State are doing right now on the recruiting trail because, I mean, Arizona State just got Tommy Hill, and I know OU's pretty high on that guy. And, I mean, they go get Junior Alexander, Jaden Williams out of South Oak Cliff. There's some pretty solid names in the class already, and there are a lot of guys on their board still left. I mean, the Sun Devils surged last cycle towards the end. I remember they got, what, two or three guys committed to them, the All-American Bowl in San Antonio. They have some really talented players coming into that program and while I think Oregon's probably the more sustainable bet moving forward Arizona State's going to be another name that has a lot of cultural playoff community members taking an eye at them and maybe down the line if Oklahoma slips up once or twice somewhere in the future we could be looking at Herm Edwards in Arizona State or Oregon obviously taking that spot from the Sooners. I think I'm penciling in USC versus Oregon in the Pac-12 championship uh, even as I like Arizona State, because that USC offense has an opportunity to be just nasty. Like, I need to write this out, but you could start Tyler Vons, you could start Brew McCoy, you could start Kyle Ford, and you could start, uh, oh, not Michael Pittman Jr., he's gone. Amon Ross St. Brown, oh, man, all across the board in an air raid. Good night. Right. Right. Well, I mean, and, and now that we know that he can do the job, like I would love to see Oregon's defense versus Arizona or Arizona State, uh, USC's offense. Like that's the reason I want to see that game played. Is uh, mm. USC's defense could feature Kayvon Thibodeau, who was number one player in the 2019 class and showed it with like nine and a half sacks as a true freshman. Noah Sewell, who they still have listed inside linebacker, 270 pounds. All right, baby man, Justin Flo. At middle, and then they return a whole bunch of dudes that absolutely take lids off. So, like, I'm, I really want to see them play each other uh, selfishly. Oh yeah, I mean, they obviously have a bunch of defensive backs returning, and then they go get Dante Manning, who at one point seemed like a heavy OU lean. And I think Dante Manning not just was he was committed. He was committed. Yeah, I mean, he was obviously committed, and then a lean, and right. they still got him, and so. I'm, I'm telling you, man, like Pac-12, we, we dog on a lot. I know I'm guilty of that personally. Mm-hmm. I mean, Arizona State, Oregon, USC, we're talking about a very viable conference that's on the rise that could potentially challenge Oklahoma or whatever Big 12 representative 
is trying to take a college football playoff spot. Oh, man. Uh, so let's go from him to uh, Damon Harmon, who we've seen some crystal balls yeah. come in here uh, a little bit for Oklahoma, which would be good news as OU is still searching for another cornerback to join this class, uh, especially with the news of Wilt Fong kind of coming in there, letting everybody know what Arizona State has done on the recruiting trail with Isaiah Johnson. So what's your read on Damon Harmon and what he's thinking? Yeah, I actually made a couple of calls with some DB trainers out on the East Coast, and I'm probably on the verge of putting in a crystal ball myself. It just seems like Oklahoma's done a great job of recruiting Damon Harmon, and obviously him being a teammate of Kelvin Gilliam, I would assume definitely plays a factor into this thing. But, I mean, you look at him, he's a really talented player. I mean, our board was very impressed with his ball hawk skills. I think he has some ideal size. When you look at six foot one, 178, probably he'll get up to 185, 190 pounds in college. You never really know the weight wise. I mean, if you're six one and above, I have to assume that Roy Manning is going to be able to do something with you. So I would personally lean Oklahoma heavily right now. I'm probably going to put in my crystal ball after this thing and write, do a quick write up. But I mean, for all of our podcast listeners, I will be very excited about Demon Harmon because not only is he a very good cornerback, like you mentioned, they want another guy in this class in that position. He also helps with Kelvin Gilliam, who Steve Wilfong put a crystal ball in for Penn State, which probably caught a lot of people off guard. Yeah, I'm still reading into that situation. I still kind of like where OU stands, but I'm, again, at the top surface of my research. And then to kind of further it, I mean, Damon Harmon has a lot of great ties with defensive backs out there on the East Coast. I mean, you saw him hanging out with Grimes just a couple of days ago. And also Oklahoma's pretty heavily recruiting a guy like Damon David for the safety position, who I think, as I mentioned on this podcast, is an absolute baller. So you'd have to assume getting a guy like Harmon would help in the recruitment of a guy like David. So in the end, if Oklahoma pulls this off and it looks like they're on the verge of making a really strong move for Damon Harmon, it would be extremely beneficial in several ways. I feel like I bring this point up and I'm just going to bring it up briefly, but it's another kiddo that is ranked outside the top 500, right? That's going to follow Caleb Johnson, who is also ranked outside the top 500. And Oklahoma beating out the likes of Group of Five competition for a kid is what you expect. Beating out LSU, Ohio State, Georgia is where it should be. And while Grinch apparently has a prototype that he likes, man, uh, the separation at the college football playoff is stark. And it's not about winning the Big 12 anymore. It's about winning a semifinal because now we're getting laughed at for picking Oklahoma in any of these games, right? Uh, And to be fair, I haven't, right? I got maligned on the board for picking Alabama in the Orange Bowl. And I'm like, no, I watched the defense for a year. That doesn't change when they get to face Tua Tonga-Valoa and Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. It It doesn't change, right? It gets worse. You know, among other things. So, uh, in talking about those things, right, uh, we're, we're talking about Latrell McCutcheon being the biggest win so far uh, on the defensive side of the ball, not named Ethan Downs. Uh, last guy we have to check in on, on is another Oklahoma high school product. That'd be Kendall Daniels, who has been compared to Isaiah Simmons, who can play both linebacker positions in a 4-2-5, can play both safety positions in most conventional defenses, can play your nickel slot, can be a foot nine rush guy, and at six foot four and pushing 225 pounds, I be, I've said it would be a tremendous boon for Oklahoma to be able to keep him in state, and he's got to get it. You have to win, and yet it feels like Oklahoma's going to lose another top safety 
for the third time in a row to another program outside of the Big 12. Yeah, man, it's absolutely devastating. Obviously, Texas A&M taking the heavy crystal ball favorite fairly recently. I mean, I wrote about it not too long ago. Kendall Daniels is a must-land prospect for Oklahoma. I mean, obviously, you can go back and you talk. You can talk about Proctor or Dax Hill, some of the big-name safeties that have left the state to go to other big-name programs. But in my opinion, I mean, when you talk about Kendall Daniels and you talk about his fit, in speed D and Alex Grinch's system, you mentioned, I mean, the guy is six foot four. He can play almost every single position in the center of your defense. The guy fits exactly what you want to do. If you're Oklahoma's coaches trying to revamp this defense. And I would argue that losing him is probably one of, if not the biggest loss of the three, because not only is an extremely talented player, but he fitted exactly what Oklahoma wants to do. Now, Texas A&M, did some pretty strong surging very recently. I mean, it wasn't too long ago. I had people around the bag there telling me, like, oh, he'll go to Oklahoma. And if it's not Oklahoma, it'd probably be like Clemson. And I was led to believe that was the situation. But now it looks like the Aggies are the strong favorite. And I'm not going to touch the crystal ball there. RJ, this recruitment has just been a whirlwind, and I try and stay out of those situations. But, I mean, Kendall Daniels, if he ends up picking Texas A&M on that announcement date, of August 1st, it's a massive loss for several reasons for Oklahoma, and it's one that I'm sure fans will dwindle on for a very long time to come. Mm-hmm. Last kiddo I want to touch on uh, in the recruiting segment is Tristan Lay, who announced his top five as final finalists, and they include uh, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, LSU, and Alabama. Now, for Oklahoma to be in this is tremendous, and one of the things that I've intuited from him is Lincoln Riley has the most to do with that. Being the head coach, being the offensive coordinator, knowing that Bill Bedenboe is always going to be his offensive line coach for as long as Bill Bedenboe wants to keep that job is big, a big deal to him. That said, LSU feels really good about where they sit with Ed Orgeron and James Craig. Clemson remains Clemson, right? They're, they're in it every single year, and that's one of the draws there. But Ohio State has been recruiting unlike anything that we've seen in the past 10 years with this class that just continues to get better. But let me run this by you. If Alabama were to pick up Tristan Lay, they get J.C. Latham, James Brockermeyer, Tommy Brockermeyer, right? And uh, Trist, I mean, come, come on. You have perhaps the best offensive line class I can remember, right? Because right now I think this class, if it sticks together for Alabama, as it stands – is the best that they've ever put together in the rankings era. So imagine two five-star tackles, no, excuse me, three five-star tackles, and a four-star center. What? Like, and you know what, and Lay knows the numbers, because, I mean, he told uh, Brian Doan this, I believe. It was, hey, you can't argue with they've had 10 out of their last 12 tackles drafted in the first round. Like, no, no, you can't. And we're all waiting on Alex Leatherwood to be that 11 out of 13. So, like, Goodness me, man, like Saban over the last really two months has been destroying people. Just prove me once again. No, I, I, I am Lil Nicky. That's, that's who I am. I will go into your bedroom. I will steal your favorite toys. I don't care if it's signing day Eve or if it's July. If I want it, I'm going to FaceTime it. And you know, to that I say, hey, uh, Texas fans, y'all, y'all better go and reassure Jalen Milrow because, you know, I mean, that man was being recruited by Major Applewhite to Houston. You know where Major Applewhite is now? Alabama. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I hate you. Look, 
Saban did it to Oklahoma last year with Jace McClellan. What makes you think he wouldn't do it to, to Texas? And the way that people have been coming into Texas to get kids, like LSU, good grief, man. Like, Tom, what's going on down there? <laughs> what are you guys doing? Man, and, and make no mistake about it. I mean, Saban is trying. Like, every single time I run in the mill row on the trail, all I hear about is, yeah, I'm committed to Texas, but Alabama's been on my line constantly. And, I mean, to further your point, if you're Milrow, like, you've got to be looking at this O-line class, especially with Tristan Lacell on the board for them, thinking to yourself, like, man, I kind of want to stay upright. I forgot Terrence Ferguson. I'm sorry. That's five. I'm sorry. Yeah, I- yeah. And I was, that, that's what I was going to say to further your point. Like, Terrence Ferguson's committed as well, and he's a six-foot-four, 300-pound offensive guard with a 97-60 rating. I mean – They've got dudes, and if Lay still has them in the running, that's huge. Now, how they would make those pieces fit together is incredibly interesting. Obviously, the one of the Brockermeyer twins can play center. Ferguson's a guard. You have the two tackles. So if Lay were to commit, they'd have three tackles. One of them has to go inside the guard. I mean, that's all things Saban can decide. Mm-hmm. But also, it, it, dude, it's hilarious. Did you see how Nick Saban waited and waited and laughed? Because everyone was like, oh, well, maybe this is the time that prehistoric Nick Saban in Alabama officially fails in terms of the pandemic recruiting era. And now he's just picking up dudes left and right, like Dallas Turner on national television. It's just making it look easy. Dude, so, I made a video <laughs> mocking them for being 55th in the country in April. They're number three. <laughs> what? Yeah. Man, they get like Christian Leary, boom. Kendrick Blackshire, boom. I mean, it's just like the list goes on and on. They just surge. And now, I mean, they got a real shot at being top three, just like all these other programs vying for those spots that, like, North Carolina and Tennessee are currently claiming. And so Ohio State, I mean, man, it's not just Oklahoma that Alabama's hurting right now. Ohio State, some of those other big-name programs, everyone's kind of keeping their eyes over the shoulder. LSU is covering their eyes. LSU is covering their eyes. And they've got a, a, what, number six, right, number six, number five? recruiting class in the country right now they're gonna add to it here pretty soon but like they gotta watch jc latham in their division right they gotta watch the brockenmeyer twins in their division you know what i mean like it's it's like that they, they might have to watch tristan lay in their division i can't oh, oh man i keep looking at these things and i'm going yeah you're right because i wrote this right in my piece about you know the ohio state kids and the oklahoma kids recruiting mecca Egbuka, but if Oklahoma added Egbuka, Kamar Wheaton, right, to uh, this list of dudes that includes five stars, right, they they just get to a point to where they start. To, and you add Tristan Lay. You get to be, what, six points behind Alabama with the same number of recruits at number three, and you're still a good 35 points behind Ohio State right now? I mean, come on. Like, I, I there are people that are thriving in this pandemic and there are people that are looking at everybody else going, how are they doing that? I'm going, they, they make phone calls. They, they like recruiting. They are on these kids. And they got the kids on the kids. Like, that's, that was one of the things I think that people would really love to hear from Caleb Williams is he's staying on one, Mario Williams, who I know that we're all kind of waiting to be like, I don't know, man. They're, LSU, Florida still really want him. But also, he's trying to get a Mecca Egg Buka in there, and there's been kind of a heavy push from both sides on that, and he's going to take his time because – I think he wants to take visits, right? And who doesn't want to take visits? But are they going to yeah. let the kids take visits? I, I can't imagine that they would. If you're not going to have fans, how are you going to have visits? I mean, that didn't make any sense. But then again, you know, 
Na- neither does playing during a pandemic. All right, so I want to go from that to uh, one more recruiting topic, then I want to talk a little bit of Big 12. So I put some film in front of you of a 2023 yeah. quarterback out of Springfield, Massachusetts. His father played briefly at Oklahoma in 1990. His name is William Watson. His father's name is William Watson II, so William Watson III is the quarterback. Started as a true freshman at Springfield, Mass. And in watching the film, two things that I want to point out just off top. One, they run Oklahoma's system, right? They, they, they run everything that Lincoln runs. They teach everything that Lincoln teaches. Two, he's 15, okay? Now, his dad is coaching, right? But you tell me what you saw because I, I like the film. I, I, I got some hesitations about the release, but you were the first person to tell me, hey, RJ, it's, the release is something you can work on. The accuracy is what you cannot teach or what you really have a really hard time teaching. Yeah, I mean, I think anyone that says you can easily teach a quarterback to throw a football into a tight window is just absolutely out of their minds. I mean, I'm someone, like I told you pre-show, that when I'm evaluating quarterback talent, I need to see, okay, can this guy hit someone in the window? And so if ball placement is there, then I go all the way down to the rest. But I prioritize accuracy as my number one thing when I'm looking at a quarterback. And what I see from William Watson III is accuracy right off the jump. And, I mean, I should note to the fans that are listening and they're perking their ears up because, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, Caleb Williams is already in 2021. Quinn Ewers is our guy in 2022. Why are we already talking about a 2023 kid? Well, quarterback recruiting never stops. <laughs> and you never know what's going to happen when it comes to Quinn Ewers. So, in 2023, I mean, this is definitely a guy that I could be seeing in the running towards the top of the QB rankings list. Now, Specifically, the release can be fixed. I think it's a little long, kind of got a baseball throwy vibe to it, maybe a little bit longer than that. But for him to be placing the ball into windows like he is here, and most of these throws for everyone listening are 25, 30-plus yards down the field, is incredibly impressive for someone his age. Now, as he adds size and he learns the game, he's going to get even better he can probably find a little bit better ways to hit guys in stride, but most of the time he's allowing receivers to get to the green grass. And so, like I was telling you, man, if you see that accuracy showing from a guy this age, you definitely got to perk your ears up and keep an eye on him because I'm very impressed with what I'm seeing so far, and I'm excited to see what he comes up with now that we're going to be able to see a little bit more of him moving forward. But I, I would keep him on the board right now, especially when you talk about the OU ties, but I'm sure you can dive into a little bit more on that. Right. Well, I do want to just get some more of his uh, credentials out there first. I mentioned uh, shorter right now, but he's 15, right? Six foot one, about a buck 70 with room to grow. Uh, I still don't necessarily love the release, but again, something we could work on. Uh, what I thought was most interesting about him is how quickly other schools have got a hold of him and made it clear that they want him because that's a really good indicator of what coaches think and what coaches think is what matters. So he got a phone call in May from Don Brown. The first question he asked him was, did you finish your biology homework? How'd you do? And he's like, yes, sir, I, I did. Good. Cause now I feel better about offering you as a quarterback at the university of Michigan. All right. So that's one Tennessee's also gotten in there with Chris Winkie who he has an opportunity to go play. And Ohio State is sniffing, right? Boston College has an offer in. UMass is UMass, but every offer counts, especially for 2023 at this point. And then Max Preck selected him as a preseason sophomore high school All-American on the second team, right? Which I thought was 
also indicative of a dude that passed for 3,000 yards last year with 38 touchdowns as a true freshman. All right, uh, I, I second straight Division three title for Springfield Ma- or Springfield Central Mass. So I'm I'm watching him. I like the way that he moves. I love his vision. He's tearing apart zone. He hits guys as soon as they hit the window. And there's a couple of throws that I would like to see him put in front of receivers to keep running. But I mean, again, I'm being overly critical because I like the kid. And in talking with you, we're like, ah, oh, I don't know, RJ seems to put. Seems to put most of them right where the kids can keep running. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, because you know, look, if if you're going to put a kid in front of people, especially this early, he needs to have the goods, and that's what I was really relying on your evaluation for is to make sure I'm seeing what I'm seeing. Yeah, I mean, it's I see a couple of throws to the back shoulder that the receiver's either in the green space or the cornerback is in a position where the back shoulder throw is probably not the move. But I mean, if the worst thing you can say about his accuracy is that sometimes he hits the back shoulder or he drags the receiver just a tad bit when he's throwing the ball 35 plus yards consistently i mean i just have to assume the kid's arms getting tired of some of these games like he's chucking the ball like you said they run a lincoln riley style offense he's asked to throw the ball consistently down the field and so maybe that's something to consider maybe it's a fatigue issue in some of these games where the accuracy kind of dips just a tad because he's starting to tire out but for him to be making these throws and for that to be kind of one of the main criticisms, that just shows that he's leaps and bounds ahead of where the other prospects are in his recruiting class. I missed uh, one offer. It'd be the University of Pittsburgh, and we're going to be comparing kids like William Watson the third. Uh, his, I mean, nickname is Pop, but to guys like Archie Manning, right? And Archie Manning is going to be what everybody's talking about for or Arch Manning, I should say. Uh, for reasons that I think we can all pick out. His grandfather's Archie Manning. His father's Cooper Manning. His uncles are Eli and Peyton. They both have Super Bowls, among other things. And he's been showing out down there in Newman in New Orleans. But, like, I'm going to be interested to see how he continues to develop, whether or not there's a transfer to a larger school, to a larger classification, to get more exposure, yeah. and to perhaps uh, raise his profile. But, uh, you know, one of the things I like doing on this show and particularly in general, is clue our listeners in on who's doing what, when, and how quickly they should be on board with a kid. So thank you for indulging me on that. I appreciate that. Um, I wanted to go from that to a point you brought up, which is, uh, is Texas Christian a problem this year and definitely a problem next year? Or is Texas Christian just definitely a problem next year? Because, like, I was thinking about this. Three of, or two of the three most I think influential grad transfers, and I guess four, two of the four come from or, or have Big 12 ties. So Trey Sermon could be the most consequential grad transfer or transfer at all across the board from going to Oklahoma to Ohio State at a position of need for them in a year where they expect to try to win a national championship. And then we got JT Daniels going from USC to Georgia. We got Jabril Cox going grad transfer from North Dakota State to LSU national champion and national champion grad transfer. And then we got Marcel Brooks enrolling at Texas Christian, which basically gives Gary Patterson two five stars by default in a month's time. Like that's on top of everything else we know that Gary Patterson's defense can do. And it feels like they could be 2014 good in 2021. 
Yeah, so I was telling you before the show, we could do an entire podcast on how this offseason has See, either shaped or hurt the other teams in the Big 12 to contend with Oklahoma. And we will. And TCU's got to be one of the most beneficial of this offseason. Go ahead with what you're going to say. No, I'm saying we, we, we will do that podcast. We, we, will, oh, yeah. we will devote an entire podcast to that because I think that's a fascinating topic to, to unspool. But I did want to uh, focus on Texas Christian, so please. Yeah, so, I mean, you talked about it. So, TCU gets Zach Evans out of the blue. I mean, apparently, according to our guy Jeremy Clark, who's done an outstanding job, you all should go check him out on Horn Frog Blitz. He reported all of these news, by the way. Mm. And he was like, look, TCU coaches are telling me they're about to get a dude that everyone thinks they don't have a shot at. And then, of course, they go get Zach Evans out of the blue, number one running back in the class. They go get Marcel Brooks who TCU recruited heavily when he was a prospect, and now he transfers to the program out of LSU after seeing a good amount of time on the field. We don't know what his eligibility status is going to be, so that kind of builds into the storyline of next year. But, I mean, this year, we have to talk about it. Like, they just landed J.D. Spielman out of Nebraska Mm -hmm. as a transfer, and that is a guy that in his career has 170 catches for 2,546 yards and 15 touchdowns. So this is a dude we're talking about. And then on top of that, I was reading this from Jeremy's work just today. TCU's class last year was supposedly the highest rank that Gary Patterson has ever brought in. I mean, and that, I have to assume that if Duggan can figure it out next season, TCU, if not this year, next year definitely could be giving Oklahoma some major issues within the conference. So I want to also add in there about J.D. Spielman. Uh, the numbers that you just rattle off are – make him the third best receiver all time at Nebraska, which I understand. They ran the bone, right? We get it. They ran triple option. But it still matters for me, especially in this age of Scott Frost. And I thought that perhaps he wanted to go home, right? Because this is Rick Spielman's kid. This is Chris Spielman's nephew, right? So you can understand how, you know, dad is general manager for the Minnesota Vikings and uncle is an All-American and all-timer at Ohio State. No! He's going to come to the Big 12 and try to show out, man. So they get, I was wondering who's going to be the answer for Jalen Rager. And I'm like, well, actually, we have a dude. Uh, oh, man, help me. What's his name? Because he went rough shot over Texas. Quentin Johnson? No, that's four-star that they got. This guy was on the field. Yeah. He was on the field last year. I got to look it up. It's going to bug me. But, uh, no, while I'm looking that up, I did want to ask you if, if – if Max Duggan can figure it out as a big one, do we still have a question about whether or not TCU has a quarterback? Is that Are we still questioning that? I have to assume that the Duggan situation is the big key here because let's just say, hypothetically, TCU has to wait for Brooks to be eligible until next year. So Spielman and Evans wait around, and they get all these guys in that recruiting class so highly ranked developed into sophomores next season. Well, Duggan at that time would be a junior, right? And his freshman year was not outstanding. He did give Oklahoma a little bit of trouble in Norman. But, I mean, it's been well documented publicly how bad he was accuracy-wise on the football field. And like I was telling you, I'm someone that very much values accuracy from my quarterbacks. And so if Duggan is not producing specifically in the accuracy situation of things, I mean – Jerry Kill is coming in as the new quote-unquote head coach of the offense for Gary Patterson. And Jerry Kill is specifically the reason why they got J.D. Spielman, because Kill is formerly at Minnesota. 
And so if Jerry Kill, who is, again, quote-unquote, the head coach of the offense for TCU now, sees a problem from Duggan in this accuracy situation, I have to believe he's going to potentially explore benching. I mean, this is all drastic to say right now because we don't even know what the kid's going to look like as a sophomore. But TCU is also taking two quarterbacks right now in this class. And I very much believe that TCU is a quarterback away from getting back to the Big 12 title game, especially if Oklahoma State doesn't really do anything and all their guys leave. And Texas, of course, loses Sam Ellinger and some of those other defensive backs on the roster. I mean, we're talking about next year as an opportunity for TCU to meet Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game. And if Duggan is the issue that prevents that, I think that that's a problem that will have to be addressed, and I don't think it will be addressed hesitantly from Mr. Jerry Kill, who is helping tremendously with TCU in this revamped contending roster. Tay Barber is the wide receiver's name I forgot. Nine or Five catches for 94 yards against Texas in the upset uh, yeah. and was slow by injury, which is why I think so many people did, forgot that he was there. But between Tay Barber, Quentin Johnson, and now J.D. Spielman, if he's immediately eligible – you have you you you. Hey, Duggan, this is your opportunity. Take the job, right? I mean, you took it last year. Make sure you retain it because Matthew Baldwin is ret- medically retired, right? So they got to take two quarterbacks. Is is one way of looking at that. But if Jerry Kill is the reason why you are able to be this good uh, with his Big Ten ties and whatnot, having been a head coach at Minnesota, or you're just good enough to go get you know these transfers, which I'm glad that Gary Patterson decided to start going this way. I'm I'm excited when Texas Christian is good, you know, because playoff P is a lot of fun. And, you know, playoff P is like Big 12 P. He talks to people. He has great quotes. Like, he's still got my all-timer in a postgame. You know, it's like, you know, Baker Mayfield was one thing. But this kid, Kyler Murray, it's recess and it's full blast. Like, he was, he's basically standing in the postgame. He's sweating. He's wiping off sweat. Talking about, we had him. We had him. Like, he's. He's just getting frustrated because he's like, anybody else, he's dead to rights. Anybody else, we destroy. This kid, though, just carves us up. And then we got guys doing DBZ celebrations at the end zone. I was so excited. Now that game is back at AMG Carter, or uh, excuse me, Amon G Carter. And we'll see how it goes. But, like, I'm excited about what Texas Christian could be. Now, I'm glad you brought that up. No, we will, we will definitely do that podcast. Um, Colin Kennedy. Read his work, OUinsider.com. He stays working, stays on top of the offers going out, stays on top of the commitments going in. Tremendous when it comes to Big 12 basketball and OU basketball recruiting as much as, man, there's been some moving and shaking going on over there. Uh, Colin is at CKennedy247 on the Twitters. CKennedy247 on the Twitters. Uh, I have deleted my Twitter account. Colin, thanks so much, man. Always fun. We'll do it again soon. Right on, brother.